Morning. Morning. Welcome to all of you. Seeing more of you here in our sanctuaries is awesome. Welcome to those of you online as well. We are in the second week of this series titled Giving God's Way. You might call it a generosity series, short series. And this morning, I want to share a message with you from a main, one main passage of Scripture titled Invest in the Future. Invest in the future. What I mean by is your future, my future. How do you invest in your future? I think you know this, I would say, if you have a general, let's say, biblical framework. I think most of you do, perhaps not all of you. That, um, but you might agree with this anyway. That you know, we, we all have come from different backgrounds. Some of us in this room have a lot of resources, not only financial but otherwise, you know, whatever, education, um, homes, uh, you know, material possessions. Some of us have, uh, you know, a fair amount of money, a lot of money. Some of us uh, less so. But I think we'd all come agree, kind of a point we'll make in this, in this sermon, is that you cannot take it with you when you die, okay? I mean, whatever you have, whatever you've accumulated, however well you've done in this life, um, I'm talking about material possessions, even intellectual, I suppose, property, you know. When you cannot take those things with you when you die. You leave them behind. However, what the Bible says, we'll look at in these verses, what Jesus is going to challenge us uh, to think about is there is a way, just one way, that you actually can, your, how you use your resources how you invest, how you choose to invest in your future, in the future. You can use your resources to have an impact beyond your days on this planet, really, in a sense, forever and ever. You might say an eternal impact. You can do that. I can do that. It's the point that Jesus tries to drive home in the parable that are, is our focus for this morning's sermon. If you have a copy of the Scriptures Turn it on, open it up to Luke chapter 16 in what is called the parable of the shrewd manager. The parable of the shrewd manager. Luke 16, verses 1 through 12. Follow along as I read. Luke 16. Jesus told his disciples, it's important, that's who he's talking to. There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 450. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill out and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. 
I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? It's a simple story. Can remember, it's a parable. How Jesus did most of his teaching. The bulk of his teaching was done in parables. What's a parable? Simple stories with pack a punch. He's trying to say something, okay? Trying to say, trying to make a point, okay? Simple stories that pack a punch. This is a simple story about a guy, maybe a wealthy man, a, I don't know, a, 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 a company, a, a, a manager of a kind, a guy who was wealthy, had a big company, and he has somebody who's his business manager, if you want to use that terminology, and his business manager, he's, he's, um, a, says in, in the opening paragraph, he's not done a good job, he's wasting his possessions. Later in verse, I think, 7 says, he's called dishonest. So we don't know exactly what it is. But he's basically calling this guy out on his you know, lack of being a good manager, of doing a poor job, and he's getting a pink slip. He's getting fired. Okay? But you could imagine it's a parable based upon what he says about himself. Listen, I can't dig. You know? <laughs> I, I don't want to beg. I went to Harvard you know, or whatever. In other words, I'm not fit for a different kind of life. I think, it's, remember, it's a parable. But that's what Jesus is trying to say. You would imagine that this guy, for a very long time, he had a very good job. He made good money, right? But in a moment's notice, right? In a moment's notice, unanticipated, there was a rich man. He called it and said, listen, what is this I hear about you? You are, your job is coming to an end, okay? Your job is coming to an end. I think Jesus is trying to say something to his disciples, okay? Jesus is trying to say something to his disciples. He's saying, he, in, in verse 9, the, the story is over, okay? And Jesus turns to his disciples and says, now I tell you. Right? He wants to make a point to them that their life too is, you know, our, our time on this earth is limited. And Jesus wants to tell his disciples a couple things, right? Number one, life is a test, okay? That's what I just want to say. Life is a test, right? Just like this guy's career came to a sudden end, so too will your life, so too will my life. But in the meantime, okay, in the meantime, remember, this is a parable. Now he's talking to his disciples. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to you. He's talking to me. In the meantime, you have been entrusted I have been entrusted with another person's wealth, another person's property, God's property, right? This is not, it was never his property. This guy made a very good living, had a good life, but he comes out and says to these debtors, listen, you owe my master so much olive oil, you owe my master so much uh, bushels of wheat, write out this list. He managed somebody else's property was never his own. This is what Jesus is trying to say. In the meantime, 
whether I live another week or another, you know, many, many, another decades, right? In the meantime, you have been entrusted, I have been entrusted with another person's property, and we will be held responsible for it, of managing our property, our, our stuff, our money, our intellect, etc., in the owner's best interest. That's what Jesus is trying to say. In the owner's best interests. What is this I hear about you? Give account of your management of my stuff. Okay? In the owner's best. And here's the point. We use the word stewardship. Okay? It's not just a Bible word. But what is stewardship? It means just a fancy word. It means that you are a steward. Could be of, if you're a parent of your children, of money that you've earned from your company, of your health, of your life. As a Christian, everything you have, we talked about this last week, is given to you by God. You humbly hold it, all of it, as a steward. But stewardship is not a subcategory of the Christian life. Stewardship, Jesus is saying, is the Christian life. That's the point. Life is a test. Okay? Life is a test. And contrary to some, what some people think and even some misguided politics, past and present, it is not a level playing field. Okay? It is not a level playing field. Luke chapter 12. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much will be asked. Okay? Much will be asked. You say, well, sometimes I look out in the world and I feel like, you know, things are not fair. Some people got more than other people. Yes, that's true. Okay? That actually is true. And, that's, and the Bible affirms that. There's a guy I've mentioned to, to you before, perhaps, over the last year or so that I've gotten to know, a guy who's a you know, homeless guy. And I've talked to him many, many times over the course of, let's say, the last year, this one particular guy. These guys kind of cycle through. And most of the time, we just, I got him a burger, we have a short conversation. Once in a while, I'll pull my car up on the curb and we'll talk through the window. But just a week ago, the first time, I ever just thought, you know, I really want to have a, a longer conversation. I asked him, I said, hey, you know, um, instead of buying you a burger, you want to go grab one? And I waited until kind of the end of the day. You know, he, he doesn't like to leave his uh, spot. He said, okay. And we, got, so we sat down. It was such a fascinating uh, op opportunity for me just to talk with him. And two, two main things happened in that conversation. Number one, some of my judgment um, diminished, you know. Because I can't help, maybe you can't help, judging people um, for the way they choose to live their lives. And I've had many conversations with this guy. And over the course of a year now, we kind of have the same conversation. He kind of keeps saying the same things. And he seems to be kind of making excuses. And I know I've had judgments in my heart about that. So that was one thing that happened. But the other thing that happened is I got to learn more about his story. This guy is only about 10 years younger than me. Turns out he grew up just in the same town that I grew up in. If you know this, I live in, I grew up, not anymore, but I grew up in uh, Arondequoit near the lake. He grew up just on the other side of the Stutson Street Bridge. He was one of five kids. I'm one of six. His, um, my dad died when I was young. His dad was never a part of the story. 
But then at that point, our stories diverged. He's the oldest of, I think, five kids. His mother was a drug addict. He had a very, very, and, and as the oldest, he kind of bore the brunt, you might say, of all the dysfunction in his family. He had, he had f- uh, four younger siblings, he had a very difficult upbringing, grew up in Charlotte, if you know the area, and came this close, did not graduate from high school. Now think of how challenging it is to make your way in the world when you don't graduate from high school. He spent about the last 20 years just barely getting by, but had an apartment, was doing okay, had his own uh, um, substance abuse problem, since 2018, he got lost his apartment. He's been living on the street. Okay. So my judgment kind of went down. But here's something that you might think that I could even think when you hear a story like that. You see these two guys at a restaurant. They kind of look the same. They did grow up in the same neighborhood. But they had a very different hand dealt to them in life. You might say, God is not fair. And you know, in a sense, he isn't fair if all you see is this side of heaven. Then he isn't fair. Of course some people have a better uh, home life. Of course some people have better financial uh, 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 situations. Of course some people grow up in different countries, right, with all kinds of freedoms, And you could absolutely, God is not fair if all you see is this side of heaven. But what Jesus is trying to say, even in verse 9, I tell you, use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. We'll get to admit what that means in a second. So when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Jesus is saying, listen, guys, ladies, I want you to have an eternal perspective. This life is not all there is. There's a day that is coming. Life is a test. That you will all stand in judgment before God. Every single person. Christians and non-Christians. We all shall stand before the judgment of God, the Bible teaches. Now for Christians, for non-Christians, it's whether what they've done with Jesus, right? That's the judgment. For Christians, it's what you've done or not done with what you've been Given. Okay? 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether bad or good. Listen very carefully. What in the world is he talking about? I thought if I'm a Christian, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That I'm forever forgiven. I will, my sin is cast as far as the east is from the west. God's never going to bring up to me, bring up to you. Maybe you've heard me say this. Other pastors say this. He's never going to bring your sin back up to you ever and ever. That is absolutely true. This is the beautiful gospel. What the judgment seat of Christ is, is not a judgment of condemnation or no condemnation. It's a judgment of commendation or no commendation. But it's even more than that. It's not just simply you get a trophy or you don't get a trophy. There's another parable, Luke 19. It's called the parable of the meanest or the parable of the talents. God doles out Everyone, there's 10 servants, they all get a talent or a mina. They come back at the end of their life. It's another version of what we're talking about here. What have you done with what you've been given? Okay? The first guy says, I took your talent, I've earned 10 more. 
You know what Jesus says to him? Great, you have responsibility over 10 cities. Right? It's not just a commendation, lack of commendation. This life is preparation for the next one. Does it seem that life is unfair because of the family you may have grown up in? Because of the situation you've grown up in? Because you grew up in a single-parent household like I did. You had two great parents. Uh, you, know, you grew up in a, in a nice situation. Your college was paid for before you even were in the third grade. Right? It does seem unfair until you look at the rest of the story. Where much is given, much shall be required. This whole short life is preparation for the next one, which is, by the way, friends, a lot longer than this one. Okay? Even those of you in this room who have reached the heights of your profession or are on your way or the heights of your ambition whether that's raising a family or making a great career or translating the New Testament, you know, whatever the game, winning the Super Bowl, Bruce Aarons, whatever your career ambitions are, it's a prelude to the real life and the real work which is to come. Life is a test. Life is a test. Second, people, to the, what's Jesus really getting at in the middle of this parable? People our, our, excuse me, life's greatest asset. Listen very carefully. People are life's greatest asset. Many people read this parable, not just got people like you and me, but scholars, and they have a hard time with it. Maybe you did when you're reading this. Because Jesus seems to be using as his example, it's one thing to use the parable of the, um, of the Good Samaritan. That's kind of easy. Let me give you a parable of a guy who, who was not selfish, who at his own risk, you know, got off his horse and, and helped somebody with his own money. I mean, that's a positive example, the Good Samaritan. But how about this guy? You know, he's the opposite of the Good Samaritan. How is Jesus using someone who the Bible says is dishonest, even in the parable, Jesus uses that term. This guy's being called up for his dishonesty. We don't know exactly what it was, but he was, he was not doing a good job. He was dishonest. And Jesus is using him as a positive example. We don't know what he did wrong. He either overcharged for many, many, many years in this career, his master's debtors, so he was filling his own pockets by overcharging, or in this last-minute stitch effort, he's undercharging, right, so he can ingratiate himself with these debtors because he's losing his job. But in neither one of those are Jesus' point. Think about this. We'd be good students of your Bible, as we've been trying to say. I've been trying to say for, for some time. What is a parable? You know what it is. What is a proverb? What is a psalm? Parables essentially are simple stories that typically have one point. Okay? One point. It's not your job or my job to try to put all the pieces together. You know, what does this mean? What does that mean? What, is this? what does the horse mean? What does the, you know, the, 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 the inn mean? You know, what, if there's only one point, let me tell you what Jesus' point is here. It gets the title of the, par the, par the parable. It's called Shrewd. The master commanded the dishonest manager because he had acted, circle this, shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of light. That's Jesus' way. And listen, I'm commending his shrewdness. And frankly, these secular friends are, are smarter than you are. So wake up. 
and be shrewd. That's what Jesus is pointing to, his shrewdness. Let me say something quickly about shrewdness when I read this. It, it, it goes from bad to worse. Jesus, you know, I, I mean, because I think, what does shrewd mean? I think it means uh, deceitful, you know, or it's manipulative. But that's not what the word shrewd means. The word shrewd is right out of the dictionary. Having or showing sharp powers of judgment. This is what Jesus is saying. Having or showing sharp powers of judgment. What's Jesus pointing at? This guy was in a tough situation. He all of a sudden realized his number had come up. Life is short. Life is a test. And you only have a little bit of time left. What are you going to do about it? Here's what he does. Even if his motives are wrong, Jesus is pointing to his point of judgment. He said, listen, I've come to a place in my life, I may have lived my whole life and thought, you know, he who has the most money in the bank wins, and I didn't care whether or not I, I, I of the people that I collected money from, if the, if the, where I made my money, whether or not those people actually liked me, cared about me, I could care less because I understood that what life is about was accumulating resources, was accumulating money. But I'm coming to a place now the powers of judgment are telling me my priorities are changing, and here's my new priority. It's more important to have friends than it is to make money. I realized when I, I, I'm about to be fired, I'm about to lose everything that I own. I'm not going to be able to pay my mortgage anymore. The boat's going up for sale. That lifestyle is over, and I'm realizing something. People our life's greatest asset. And Jesus is saying, that's the point. Life is a test. Where are you investing? How are you investing your future? It was a, it was a fundamental change in his priorities. That's what Jesus is pointing to. Now, if you don't like that negative example, <laughs> it still rubs you the wrong way, let me share with you a positive one of the same thing, where someone decides in a difficult moment they're going to change their priorities and that people are life's greatest asset. Yevon Ramadan, some of you may or see this, maybe not, was a man, you know, a month and a half ago from the Ukraine, from Ukraine, I should say, from Ukraine. He uh, was, was born in Ukraine but was an expat, lived his whole life in London, grew up and raised his family in London, speaks English. That's where he raised his own children. But as he watched people in Ukraine suffering the way they've been suffering, he said, I can't take this any longer. People are life's greatest asset, and I'm going to change my priorities. Watch this very brief video. I live in London most of my life, uh, most of my family, half of my family is in London, half of my family is in Ukraine. I've made a decision to come back. I'm here to be with my nation, I'm here to be with my people. I just booked a plane and here I am a few meters away from the border. It's shameful to wake up in the morning realizing you're not there with them people that are suffering, with them kids, with uh, people dying. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't. The, the, the scary feeling that I get is nothing. 
compared to the feeling that I could have done something and I never did. I wouldn't be able to live with it. And I'm proud to say I'm Ukrainian. And I love my country. And I wish that all this is going to be over very soon. I hope. We all hope. And it will. The shrewd Ukrainian. What's Jesus saying here? I tell you. Now he's talking to you. He's talking to me. Use your worldly wealth. What is your worldly wealth? Certainly it's your money. But it's your, it's your time. It's your talents. It's your assets. Whatever you have. Okay? Use your worldly wealth. To gain friends for yourself. See, why, why is he being so clever? Why doesn't he just say, I want you to share the gospel with lost people? Because he's trying to stay within the parable. What did the guy say? I know what I'll do. That when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. Jesus is saying, listen, people, friends are more important than money. People are life's greatest assets. So Jesus is saying, listen, let me tell you what to do. To gain friends for yourselves. Well, what does he mean? What kind of friends? Who will be welcomed? Who will welcome you, let's say, into eternal dwellings? Jesus is saying, listen, people is life's greatest asset. And investing in them, forever friendships you want to call that, is the best use of your time and your money. Listen, if you have not been trusted Excuse me, if you have not been, if you've been untrustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? What are true riches? If you look in the, the science or the, I'm assuming the, 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 um, the context of this parable, the logic of this parable. Well, true riches, in contrast to worldly wealth, has to be things that God values, things that are eternal. The only thing that is eternal in this life is the souls of men and women. Nothing else. We talked about this in our last series, right? Everything else on this planet will be, will be consumed, right, with a scorched fire. That's Peter's words. In other words, nothing in this world is going to last. You can't take your money with you. You can't take your stuff with you. I can't. The only thing that will last is eternal souls. That's what true riches are. And the greatest thing that you can do with your money, your time, your worldly wealth, whatever that means, is to invest it in places, I would say starting with your church, okay, but not limited to your church, that can help expose people to the gospel of Jesus Christ, okay, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Life is a test. People are life's greatest asset, finally. Who are you investing in today? Who are you investing in today? Who am I investing in today? The manager in this parable is taking action today, that's what Jesus is really commending, to prepare for his future tomorrow. That's the point. That's all Jesus is trying to say. And you might say, why is Jesus using a negative example? Well, probably because it was it was part and parcel of the everyday life that people... In other words, Jesus, this is how people lived. 
There's nothing new under the sun. Jesus is saying, let me give you an example that you all know about. Even when he talked about when he criticized the tax collectors and sinners, like Matthew was a tax collector, why were they so despised, the tax collectors, in Jesus' day? Because they were all Jewish, but they were taxing their own people, serving the Roman government, and they were asking more than what was being asked for, and they were lining their own pockets. So they were despised by the average Jewish person because their own people were actually um, fleecing them for the, uh, for the people who were occupying them. That Jesus used an everyday example. Listen, this is how the world works. And this what this guy was doing. Maybe he too in this parable was Jewish and was overtaxing his friends even because money was more important than people. But Jesus says, listen, this guy came to a, he had a, he had a, 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 a moment of clarity. We call it, you know, a, 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 you know, come to Jesus moment, you know. His Jesus moment was, listen, I, whatever time I have left, I'm changing my priorities. I'm going to take action today, and whatever time I got left, like Yevon Ramadan, okay, I hope he lives through this uh, situation in Ukraine. I hope he does. I hope he gets back to his family in the UK. But we don't know that. He doesn't know that. But I'm changing my priorities. That's the point of this parable. That's the point of this parable. And by the way, you don't have, it doesn't have to be big things. Watch this. Whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. You don't have to have a lot of money, a lot of resources to respond to this test and to invest in people. Very quick story. I've been the pastor here now for 17 years. Came here right out of seminary at 20. No, just kidding. But anyway, 17 years. All of those years, except maybe the first one. So for 16 years, there's a woman who you will never meet. Some of you might know her, but you, most of you never will meet her. You don't know her. She's a widow. For 16 of those 17 years, every Christmas, Every Thanksgiving, including the last one, she gives me an envelope that says on the front of it, little card, nice little card, you know, to whoever, who, to someone in need, and inside it is a $100 bill. She's done that every Christmas and every Easter, including the last one. And I, I know her, I, you know, small talk with her once in a while, but I, I've never had the time, maybe I should do this, tell her the stories of the dozens of people, homeless people, missionaries, you know, single moms, you know, all the different people that I've given that money to, she doesn't even know where the money went. But God knows. God knows. And I hope for her, <laughs> you know, I tell you, use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal. I hope all those people are standing there on, on the gateway of heaven and welcome and saying, thank you for helping me out. Thank you for making a difference. And in every case that I could, virtually every case, case unless it was a quick through the window thing, I've said, I want you to give you this money, friend. This is not for me. This is from a woman in my church who just wants to bless you. I've said that every single time. Okay? Who are you investing in today? Who am I investing in today? What opportunities are you currently missing? Am I currently missing where you failed to invest money or time wisely in the light of eternity. You can't 
take it with you when you die. But you can invest it if you want to invest it. But when you die, the opportunities are over. Let me quickly say two quick things. I'm going to take communion together. If you weren't here last Sunday, there's cards in the seat backs. This is about how to give. It's a whole series on Guide to Grace Giving. On the back is talking about how to give. Let me say two quick things. When you give even to Browncroft, our whole, mission, our whole budget, in a manner of speaking, is a missions budget. What do I mean by that? Children's ministry, right now. They're teaching children that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, that he's the best way to invest your life. You know, local missions, global missions, everything we do. But even missions, let me say this. It talks about how to give. I mentioned last Sunday, in the last 24 months, you, Browncroft, gave $1.5 million in the door, out the door, to local and global partners. To do that, you have to go to, you have to designate that. I just want to remind you, should, is the church the only place to invest your money? Absolutely not, but it's one. And there are other, many of you know that. Okay, I want to make mention of that. What opportunities am I currently missing? Are you currently missing to invest wisely in light of eternity? You can't take it with you when you go. Let's think about that as we share in this together, okay? Share in communion together. And let me say something about this moment. We, why, why do we celebrate the Lord's table or communion? We love, this is John's words, um, the Apostle John, we love because he first loved us. The greatest motivation, I mentioned this last week, the greatest motivation for you and me to invest my worldly wealth, whatever that is, in things that will outlast me, that is, in relationships, in people, in eternity. The greatest reason to do that is not so I can be some manager in heaven, although Jesus does say that. He, you know, well done, good and faithful servant, you're responsible for ten cities. But the greatest reason to do that is because of what God has done for me. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. We mentioned this last week, but listen to these words. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that through your, his, excuse me, his poverty you might become rich. Okay. Paul is using that language in the midst of a sermon or, or, or of his own about giving money to the poor. I talked about this last Sunday. But what does that mean? That Jesus Christ was rich. It doesn't mean that he had a night. He, he, we know he didn't live in a fancy neighborhood. That's not what he's talking about. He means that Jesus Christ became poor. His poverty was he took on humanity. He went into, this friend's going to Ukraine at the, suffering, uh, at the, at the risk of his own life to help children that aren't even his. Jesus came into this world, not at the risk of his own life, at the cost of his own life. He knew he was going to take a bullet. He knew that from the beginning. He told his disciples three or four times, I'm going to go. They're going to crucify me. I am going to be killed for you. That's his poverty. He did that, though, so that you and I 
even though that were all transacted in this life, in this world, he did it here in a place called Calvary. <laughs> he did it here. He left it all here, but it was so that you and I could be a forever friend with him in heaven. That's the real motivation. So as we share on this table, that's what I want you to think about. Just take a minute, 60 seconds, and then we'll share on this together. What opportunities might you take that you're not taking today to invest your time wisely in the light of eternity? Okay? Just take 60 seconds. Do some business with God in your own heart. Life is a test. People are life's greatest asset. Who are you investing in today? he was betrayed Jesus took bread and he broke it and he passed it to his disciples and he said this is my body which represents my body which will be broken for you let's eat together when supper was ended he took the cup and passed it and said, this cup represents my blood which will be shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. A new covenant. Let us drink together. One last application. On the first Sunday of every month, if you're new or relatively new to Browncroft, we do what we're doing right here. Share on the Lord's table, bring us back to the gospel. We also take a mercy offering, and that's at the end that you do it on the way out. And that offering typically, or I shouldn't say typically, is always, um, it's typically or at the first Sunday of the month, but it's used for you know, sort of, let's say, special needs uh, on the edges of the body, people in need. Uh, almost like this woman uh, was giving money to me to pass through to others. This Sunday, just this one Sunday, uh, March, or excuse me, April the 3rd, we're going to take a break from the mercy. We're going to have a special offering today 
and this can go on through uh, at least through the next week or so, four people in the uh, in Ukraine. People in Ukraine. Now, there's some friends. Let me tell you how this money is going to be used. Just a special offering from our deaf uh, ministry who've been working on this and our elders have been involved, our, our missions team has been involved. It's called uh, trying to help people that they individually came in contact with, deaf people in Ukraine that are extra challenged, right? Everyone's challenged there. Deaf people are, are, are extra challenged because of all the uh, natural limitations in trying to get information and get out. And there's a ministry there. It's called Deaf Bridge. And they're Christian, and they've been there doing ministry among deaf in Ukraine for years, okay, many years uh, in the name of Jesus. But they've shifted in this season to help get deaf folks out of Ukraine. Um, and they've done that successfully already, a number of families and individuals. And they've identified more, but they need money. Mainly it's transportation money. So there's a donor, not a brown crofter, who said, listen... They, their, their goal right now for this transportation season for, let's say, the next couple of months of getting uh, identified families out is $100,000. So we'd like to try to help them. So Browncroft, we've been talking about this for just for two weeks, we're, we're just going to give $25,000. We're hoping through today's offering, this week's offering, to match it with another $25,000. And this donor will match up to, to $50,000. So if we can together create 50,000, 50,000 will be 100,000 within the next several days. So if you want to take a part of this special offering, you can go to browncroftcares.org this morning and, and, and do that. It's all been set up. You'll see that when you go there. You can go to the QR codes right in front of your, on your chairs. If you swipe that, there will be a Ukraine um, option right there. It all goes to the same place or on the buckets on your way out, which is how we typically do when we do the mercy offering. You can give there as well. We will report to you as soon as next Sunday what happened. And uh, we look forward to just seeing what God will do as we move forward. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us and our service will be concluded. God, thank you for this day. We love you. We thank you for the great privilege just to be your servants. Help us, Lord, as we think about our own lives today. To know that life is... is um, it, however long one lives in this life, it's short. And Lord, we never know uh, when our, our, um, our days will come to an end in this life. But Lord, help us, begin with me, begin with us, to see our lives as a stewardship, to, to know, Lord, that the, the true riches in this life um, are eternal souls. Help us, Lord, each of us, to know how we can better invest in in the gospel's um, proclamation near and far and help us, Lord, to make investments that will outlast us. We certainly pray for the many, many people in Ukraine today, many, many families, those who are Christian, those who are not Christian, just the troubles, things that are far you know, beyond our even what, what we do know. And we pray for your, your providence, your sovereignty, Lord, to limit, to bring to an end um, the, uh, the, the loss of life and violence. But also we pray, uh, Lord, for the gospel in its many ways to be um, heard and hearts to be encouraged, changed forever, we pray.
and we just give this all to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, friends. Have a great Sunday.